Welcome to the Enterprise Leaders Podcast, where we discuss the stories and lessons behind successful enterprise businesses. We talk to entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders to learn from their expertise and explore the playbooks that are critical to building category leaders. Please reach out with any feedback or suggestions for guests to podcast at stormventures.com. Your host, Arun Penmetza, a partner at Storm Ventures, an early-stage venture capital firm based in Silicon Valley. Thank you for joining us. We are fortunate to have Jared Lucas with us today. Jared most recently was the CHRO at MobileIron, and before that led HR teams at companies like LinkedIn, Hewlett-Packard, and others. We're going to be talking about the human resource department in organizations today and what makes a great CHRO. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here, Arun. You've led the HR function across a number of companies. What got you started in the space? When I was in my undergraduate, a lot of the students did international missionary assignments. And so I went and lived in Spain for two years. And when I came back, I studied international relations. And that school was a feeder for the FBI, the State Department, the CIA, NSA, a lot of hiring off that campus. But they encouraged us to choose a profession if for some reason that didn't come off. And so I actually chose human resources. That's what I did my internship in college and then worked for a few years before I joined the FBI in the HR function. What got me probably the most motivated was there was a famous professor who wrote this book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. His name was Stephen Covey. And he was a professor at my undergraduate institute. And so there was already a culture of organizational behavior, HR, leadership. And that's what really drove me into the profession. That's really interesting, especially picking that up in college. You mentioned the FBI. And one of the really interesting things, if someone looks at your LinkedIn, is you did have a stint at the FBI. Can you talk a bit about that transition to FBI and then you came back to the HR space? It was just that same path where I was going through all the tests and the background checks. And it's quite a lengthy process. And so it was probably about two years after I graduated that they made me an official offer to be a special agent. And my wife and I contemplated the opportunity for us and our family. And I decided to go do it because it was quite unique and it's very hard to get into. I had an aspiration to provide public service and I thought it'd be a really fascinating opportunity. It was action packed. They sent me to South Texas. Right. So I was stationed in McAllen, Texas, and I was working on international drug trafficking cartel investigations, specifically related to public corruption. It was a true adventure, okay. and everything I could say about it is positive. Love the team, love the people. I was very desirous to pursue a graduate degree, and I had applied for a sabbatical with the FBI to go back and get my master's, and I just never went back. Once I got on campus, I went to Cornell, and I studied in their School of Industrial and Labor Relations, which is a great HR program. I just didn't go back, and I miss it, but I think for my family and my wife, it was quite a relief to not have me packing heat and wearing a bulletproof vest every day. So I could tell you a lot more about the FBI, but it was awesome experience and had amazing unintended benefits longer term for sure doing that experience. That's fascinating. I don't think I've come across many people who've made a detour like that. Post the FBI, you came back to lead HR teams. 
Can you talk a bit about what the role of the CHRO or the HR team, in your view, is in a company? And what does your team typically look like in terms of structure? I was thinking about the role of the CHRO, and then I'll talk about the role of the HR team. I look at it, if I was a CEO, I think it's a fantastic function that if optimized well, and if you have the right people there, can give you tremendous momentum and strength as a company. I kind of compare it to in an F-18 fighter jet, there's a pilot and there's a navigator who sits behind the pilot in the most advanced fighter jets. And when I've tried to think of an analogy that would best describe the role, I think the HR chief is that navigator. And the main role of a navigator in a F-18 is to map where you are, to know where you are at all times, and also to help control communications. Right. And I think from an HR perspective, when you're as a function trying to recruit, retain, develop, and motivate the best workforce possible, having that partner in the HR seat who knows where you are, who has a pulse of the culture of the organization, who understands the vision and the strategy, and who's the chief recruiter of talent. I think it's an incredible luxury to have and something you should optimize. But really, if you think about what the essence of the role is, recruiting, retaining, developing, and growing the talent is the charter of that function. From a team perspective, I've always, especially in startup world, I think traditionally you hire a head of talent acquisition. Talent acquisition, and we can talk right. more about that if we decide to, is such a critical part of growing startups and hyper-growth companies. You really want a strong person in that role. And then the other role that I always have liked to have is, you can call it lots of different ways, but it's compensation, benefits, and systems. And that person's more the operational right. piece of HR. And then you have HR business partners that are attached to the business units, and you also have geographic partners in the various geographies. As you get more developed, you might have a learning and development team and function. You might have a pure systems team, but it all depends on the growth curve of your startup and where you're at. And those two roles are the ones I always try to get built into my team very quickly. I think that's a great overview. And I think the analogy makes a lot of sense, the fighter jet analogy. I think it'll be great to dig into each of those areas. But I want to start off with culture. Culture is so critical. And just in the startup ethos, it's talked about so often. As an HR leader, oftentimes when you think about culture, right, it's the founding team that kind of establishes it early on, and then you take it from there. How do you think about the HR's role in that? You're the first point of contact with a new recruit. But can you talk a bit about just the internal processes and what you do internally, day-to-day to set up and manage that culture? I love that question because so many times culture gets tied up into the snacks and the break room and the cool office space and all those things right. are important and they help drive culture. Like one of the companies I worked at early in my career was Quicksilver, which was a big international surfing apparel company. And so the boardroom was a giant surfboard. Right. And the CEO's office was built like a lifeguard tower. So I've been a part of companies where culture is really strong. But then it gets into the practices. And more specifically, the consistency with which a company practices and implements the policies for the employees. And the HR chief can be a key architect of all of those pieces and the key gatekeeper of trying to determine If you're in the middle of hyper-growth recruiting, how do you make sure the hires match the culture that you're building? What processes and systems and programs are you building to keep the culture consistent? 
but I would never just put it on the HR person. Sometimes I'll talk with CEOs and they'll just say, oh, the HR person owns all of that. Well, no, I think it's a collective group as a leadership team. And I think when you think about things like compensation and benefits and performance reviews and promotions, all of those things tie into a great culture. The HR leader can be the soul of the company if they do their job well. Just to double click a little bit more on the culture, is there a way, in your view at least, that you can measure it or how close you are to the ideal culture that you want to establish? Or are there periodic check-ins and how do you review that? There's certainly lagging indicators that you can measure very specifically. At Mobile Iron, we reported to our board every board meeting on voluntary attrition in detail, which is a key signal of what's the desirability of employment. The hiring velocity rate is another key indicator. And then employee surveys and employee sentiment, where you're tracking over time how people are feeling. So you have a lot of indicators from that standpoint. And then from the other side of the way to measure it is how consistent are you in applying the programs and policies and procedures of the company? And if you do that and you do that well, you can really build a strong, consistent culture that people rally around and are successful. And the other thing I always tell CEOs that I talk to is a great culture is winning. If you're not winning, if you're not progressing, if you're not achieving the goals of the company, you definitely need a culture check-in. Because the best output of a fantastic culture is the highly motivated team and high performance and results. Tying it to motivation and performance, and also, as you mentioned, having the right communication strategy is a great point. You mentioned the CEO a couple of times. So one of the things that'll be good to understand is, especially as companies scale, each function, whether it's the executive team or the sales team, marketing team, HR, each sort of end up in their own silos. How often do you think, in your view, HR gets involved in steering the overall ship? There's obviously, as you mentioned, the recruiting portion, compensation, and some of the areas that you mentioned earlier. But just in terms of being a partner and setting the direction for the business, what has been your experience, or at least what do you think are best practices to get HR involved? It's absolutely world-class if your talent strategy aligns directly to the business strategy. And I think in the most optimal moment, you have those two things aligned and in harmony and tightly working. I always encourage HR professionals to really work on business acumen, to understand the business, to be credible, Mm. understand how the products work. Ultimately, if you're in the chief HR officer role, not only do you have the CEO, the board of directors where you have key relationships, but you also have the rest of the management team. And so you're in this place where you're right. the person sitting with the head of sales saying, what's the state of your organization? How healthy is it? What are the pluses and That's minuses? Right. Where do we need to grow? What is the talent that we need to deliver? And so you sit as a partner to each of the functions. And if your business acumen is high and you're striving to understand, you're an incredible asset to the whole team because you're not in the game. You're not battling between customer success and sales about where certain roles should sit or where budgets should sit. You're there to help facilitate and hopefully tie it back to the overall company goals and strategy. And from a personal passion point, that's where the role is really fun and juicy and meaty is when you get into the business and you're actually helping. So you listen, you strive to understand the business, you care about it, you ask questions, you set your priority roadmap to align with business interests. And I think you get brought in eagerly 
because I think these leaders are lonely and they want help. Yeah. And if you're a strong business partner, and it want you engaged in their business and helping them succeed. That ties into my next question. One of the things that's always difficult is from the outside looking in, because HR in many ways, the interaction, at least especially for employees, might be sporadic. Like you mentioned, when you get recruited or thinking about compensation and so forth, what can business leaders or let's say functional unit leaders like sales and marketing do on their end to take advantage of what you provide? Because that partnership, like you said, is critical. Is there things that they should know about what you do day to day that's most relevant to them? The part that they should understand, I think sometimes HR gets a bad rap as policy police or bureaucracy or controls. And I think it slows people down. I think the best thing that people can understand from sales, marketing, other key functions is, hey, it's all part of a great whole and we're all working together. And from an HR team perspective, if you've developed a relationship where they know that you're trying to help, you're helping to build things forward and not just stop things, then I think it makes it much more valuable. And then just like they have their goals and deliverables and programs and achievements, let your roadmap be known. Don't hide it. That's right? Right. HR should have a roadmap just like customer support, just like finance, just like legal, every function and evangelize your roadmap. Get alignment behind those key programs. And many times they're eager. I remember I've run leadership development programs where we've gone out and found a partner and we found a great teacher. And they're just so thrilled to throw their managers into the program because you build something that matches their needs. So those are some things that I think are important. And I think hold them to a high standard. I also think that's something at times that can be improved is hold the HR function, the talent function to a high standard, just like all functions and work together to bring the most value for the company. So those are some things I would think from their seat. Yeah, the transparency part is a great point. I think making your roadmap public within the company is a great way. I think all teams should do that to a certain extent. So everybody knows where the business is heading. You talked earlier about the different parts of your team, talent recruitment, and then some of the compensation and systems teams. Can you talk a bit about how you think about building those teams and what are the metrics you track in terms of performance there? For recruiting, such a critical part, and there's lots of things to measure. At the end of the day, it's hiring velocity against plan is the output that you're looking for. And so in a recruiting funnel, just like a sales funnel, there's everything from the candidates at a sourcing stage to an on-site interview stage to an offer stage to closed and onboarded. And so along that whole path, there's lots of measurements that you can know If the front of your funnel is broken, you're not going to end up with the output. And so I try as best I can it with the recruiting teams you have is to have them communicate those metrics and have it in a system that's transparent and open. And then there's a lot about employee brand and referrals and other pieces, but that's the heart of the matter for recruiting is achieve the hiring velocity against the plan and do it in the most effective way. For compensation and benefits, It's interesting. When I worked with my compensation director at Mobile Iron, our master total rewards spreadsheet was probably 38 columns. So in terms of metrics, there is so much data that ties into what is the person's role level? What's the market data? What's our internal mean for these roles? What's our ranges? How much equity do they have invested in front of them? 
What is our prediction on attrition based on that data? So for me, when I think about compensation, a lot of it's internal data, but you're using that to instruct what your compensation philosophy is and also to measure how successful your hiring program is with that philosophy. And then there's also a lot of data around the burn rate on equity, which obviously the investors care quite a bit about. And then to the company, when you look out, you know, outside of just the analysis of compensation, it ties to hiring and retention. Is your system working? And if I went into any company, I'm quickly going to be able to ask those questions to know what are their challenges, what's working, what roles can't they hire? And as you do that, the metrics really matter and they tell the story for you. Right. To build on that point, you talked a little bit about high growth companies. And when you are a high growth company, you're always thinking about how do I hire more people? And at a certain stage, maybe around the A or the B round, you bring in a recruiter. How do you think about when startups should start scaling their HR team? Like you said, break it down in terms of talent management, the systems, the benefits, the compensation teams, potentially having someone in each functional units. Do you recommend a certain stage at which founders should start thinking about this? Because my instinct is in most cases, people focus hiring engineers and salespeople, but like staffing, having the right recruitment team or HR team in place often takes a backseat. Yeah. And I think it definitely does scale at different intervals. Now, the work needs to get done regardless if you hire the people. So if I was a hundred person startup, I know at that point I've got recruiters in place. I've got a basic HR system. I've got some benefits. I've got some sort of compensation ranges and levels. So I think when you get to 100, starting to think about hiring that first HR leader, maybe a director of HR, maybe you hire the VP of HR, makes sense. By the time you're at 300, 400, 500, yeah, you have full-blown functions now that they're running annual performance cycles, they're running compensation cycles, they're looking at equity refresh. Be aware, if I was talking to a founder, be aware of the needs and then depending on your growth rate and your scale, start inserting the people. But if you don't have the people, you got to do the work anyways. It's interesting at LinkedIn, we had in executive compensation for a long time, we were probably a thousand people or more. And we just had a really strong executive compensation analyst who also helped build out other structures. And that person, it was just fantastic to have that resource. And then the compensation team grew and there was more people in that team. But having an analytical resource and compensation fairly early is something I would really recommend. And then on recruiting, you're not here to build a small company. The venture capitalists are not expecting small companies. Invest. You got to invest in the recruiting team to deliver and spend time on your strategy because it's going to be multi-geographic now, especially post-COVID. Yeah. All right. Because just because I think that can be such an amplifier in the business if you optimize that early on. You mentioned COVID. Can you talk a bit about, obviously, given COVID, companies have gotten more distributed. People are working remotely like all of us are these days. How does that change the HR team's function and tying it back a little bit, for example, into the culture aspect? Because it's maintaining culture in a remote setting is far different than when people are meeting together. Oh, yeah. And having been an HR chief through COVID and really working with our team and understanding it across geographies. It's a fascinating topic and it's very newsworthy as we watch companies starting to come back into the office. The interesting thing is people talk about being remote and enterprise sales company. Well, the sales force is already remote. 
support is a function that already has capacity to be remote. So for us at Mobile Iron, it was really product and engineering where the biggest change had to come is how are you going to write code right. and build software and work with product managers fully remote because they're used to being in the Bay Area. We were in Mountain View working as a collective team. And what we found as we moved into that model, it was harder for the team, especially initially, because their home-based offices weren't set up. We were scaling our Zoom, our Slack, our other tools. That's right. But as we got into it, it was interesting. Our productivity did not drop. Employees got more excited yep. about the model. We ended up giving a $300 allowance so they could set up a home-based office, which was widely well-received. And so I think it becomes a pivot of, hey, we've delivered this service to the employees in a certain way in terms of facility. Now, how are we going to deliver that in a second way? But the biggest part of this, it was interesting in the surveys we did, and I need to focus on North America, and then I'll talk a lot about Europe and India. Well, in North America, what yeah. the employees really want to know is, are you going to let me live anywhere I want? And I think for right. companies, that's the tension point, and they're struggling with. Because you see the big guys, Google, Apple, et cetera, they're not willing to commit to that. But if I'm a startup and I'm at 200 people and I'm already embracing a remote culture, then what I think, and we never ended COVID while I was at Mobile Iron because COVID continued. But I think the trend line where we were heading is towards a reoffer process. So, hey, you want to move to Phoenix, Arizona, and that's the place okay. you want to be. Here's what the package is going to look like for you. And if you want to accept that, then we're right. going to support you in a fully remote status. And I think that's where companies right now are struggling is they're skipping that little step of it's in some ways it's a reoffer because it's our work's going to be different. Your manager's going to treat you differently. And then the second part is there's a lot of strength around the hub idea of like, hey, we'll let you live anywhere near the office two hours or so. So that way you could come back to the office once a quarter or once a month. And it's the same thing with the Phoenix example. Is Mobile Iron going to pay for that employee to fly back for the meeting or do they have to pay? And what I think you have to do in right. this case is just make it all transparent, articulate it and make it clear. Yeah. And I think companies have a real opportunity here for something really positive and exciting, but they have to be thoughtful and they've got to do that hand-to-hand -hand work with each employee to get it right. But I'm very bullish on it. And I think okay. a hybrid model with hubs is the best way to go. I think for recruiting in the US, it's fantastic if you can open up your engineering recruiting nationally. In Europe, we had mostly sales, so it wasn't a big stressor. India brought a lot of interesting questions and issues. And it was interesting culturally because some of our managers would say, well, we're okay with the US not being remote, but not India. And then I would unpack that. And then as we started to talk more to our Indian employees, they had the same challenges as the US. If they are in Bangalore or Hyderabad or Delhi or these big cities, they have bad commutes. It takes up their lifestyle. It affects their That's mental right. health. And so then we started to work on how can we make this work in India too? So I'm excited about it, as you can tell me talking about, because I think it's a real tipping point, but companies are nervous and they're trying to figure it out. And I think we just have to dive in together and work it out with the employees very directly. That's right. No, it's, it's a great point also because I think that's a big benefit or advantage the startups have these days, right? A lot of startups today are remote first by default, even pre-COVID. And that's one of the tools they use to win employees over compared to a larger company. So you're right, larger companies have to figure it out. 
and being transparent is critical. Just to build on that, the culture aspect, do you do anything different in terms of cultures like having regular online sessions or how do you think about managing culture when, you know, everyone, like you said, is working from home or have their own home offices and now maybe they are in Phoenix or other places? If you've typically had a manager lunch budget or an activity budget or go bowling, that budget for spree de corps, you absolutely have to keep that going remote. And I've been researching startups in this space because I think it's fascinating if you can figure out a way to do this team building in a remote way. We had a chess tournament, Arun. We just did it kind of on a whim. I couldn't believe the engagement we got from the whole company and the people that participated. And it was just a simple game. Everyone understands some are good, some are bad, but we built a bracket, we built a tournament, and then we played it over two to three months to get to the end. And I think it's a great question because yes, you have to proactively build the culture remote. You just have to do it in a different way. And I think that there'll be a lot of opportunities for companies that try to help this happen because it's going to be very pressing. And there's a lot of mental health challenges with being remote because of fatigue, Zoom fatigue, working all hours. And so I just think companies can innovate and they can find ways to make the culture work and remotely too and fun. The chess tournament is a fantastic idea. I think more companies should definitely do something like that. Talking a bit about technology, I don't think we've covered that enough Well, in this discussion. HR tech is a pretty crowded space in terms of startups and products and solutions. How do you think about that? Like, How do you think about as a HR team adopting technology? And when you come across new vendors, and potentially this question is targeted also at startups that are trying to sell into HR, what can they do to get your attention among the sea of companies out there? Yeah, it's incredible. And when I was at LinkedIn, there was always potential M&A. So I got exposure to some of these early companies back in 2010. And since then, this HR tech world has just exploded. I'm a real believer in this idea that just like customer success has really moved to customer experience, I think the employee experience and employee experience platforms are very hot and important and somebody's going to crack the code. And this isn't just Workday or your HRS system. This is how you engage with your employees. So lots of tools where HR buyers are absolutely looking for solution. We're looking for innovation and we're looking for ways to better connect, engage, and retain. And so I see the tools that help us on the back end. They help us with workflows. You see the applicant tracking space, extraordinary successful companies in that space, The HRS space has also been very hot, performance management. But again, we're just looking for tools that will help us. Just sharing this idea on the podcast of, hey, you've got this engagement problem now where you're going to be remote. And then so the question is, are there any platforms for this? And there's a lot of times, Arun, where I look at the HR stack, and there's just holes. There isn't a great vendor for this. There isn't a great vendor for that. And then ultimately, who can tie it all together? either through super friction-free APIs or through a full platform. And those are things that we're always on the hunt for. And I still think there's billion-dollar startups ready to emerge in the space. So always eager to help and always looking for good ideas. I think HR is very approachable. I think that with HR, you really want to focus on what is ultimately going to be solved, how is it going to be solved, and then how much program management is going to be required around this tool. 
I'll give you one example, um, employee recognition software. So these are tools that right. you give a point system to employees. We rolled out one of these platforms. I've never seen a more engaging product because it was super easy to use. It gave the employees the power. They loved giving out their points to their colleagues and getting their rewards and tools like that. We're jumping right on right. them because they automated something that was completely analog before. It's just an exciting Perfect. space. And I think HR is always looking for ideas and ways yeah. to make it. That's great to hear. So just switching gears a little bit, we've talked a lot about employees and culture and all that. And I want to touch a little bit upon the HR team itself, because it's such a fast-paced environment, especially in a high-growth company. There's so many moving parts. How do you think about motivating and managing the HR team itself? And a second part to that question, who do you think is a good fit for HR? Are there certain qualities you look for when you're building out your team? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question because... HR being on the front lines of recruiting and being on the front lines of hiring, sometimes being on the front lines of when people need to be terminated or performance managed, it can be a very tough job. And also times maybe the it's a function that doesn't feel like it's getting the respect and attention that it deserves. Although they're touching so many different things, other functions getting bigger budgets, bigger attention. When any team, right, it's try to attach them to the goals, attach them to the output, they want to be involved. They want to see success. They want to get to know the executive team and they want to be a part yeah. of the company. So as much as you can do as an HR leader to bring them in, I think that really engages them. I think the quality of the work, the projects, the intensity, which would be at any function also can be highly motivating to them in terms of the type of people that would be successful in HR. Definitely a program management mind. There's so many initiatives yeah. Yeah. that HR can run. But the best HR people, they're not just launching something or doing something. They're connecting it ultimately to an outcome. So it's an engineering mind, but more of a program management mind. Google was famous because yeah. their old head of HR, Laszlo Bach, he had a third that were like quants, PhDs, statisticians. He had a third that were traditional HR. And then he had a third that were just business MBAs. And so I think right. it's an interesting way of thinking about the function. And I think you need a little bit of all those. I'm always excited when I see an MBA graduate come into HR because they're bringing a financial acumen, a demeanor, an ambition scale that really, I think, highlights the function. I think there are roles for some very analytical people. And then I think there's the middle ground, which is just the art of the function. How do you have a difficult conversation? Right. How do you mediate challenging issues. And as I've worked with great HR people over the years that I admire people that have worked for me, some people just have that skill. A great mentor of mine said, a great HR person is good at surfacing the issues. And you know, right. I don't know how to you know, exactly quantify that on a resume, but that always resonates with yeah. me. Because if you attach the right HR person to a team and the true issues start to come out, and you start to fix them, it's just gold for the company because you're just you're more successful. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of those soft skills are often hard to determine, but they're so critical in running the business. Correct. Talk a bit about predictions. HR is a fast moving space. And you touched upon this a little bit earlier in the discussion, but where do you think the industry will move in the next two, five, ten years? Yeah, so analytics, I look at investing in myself in HR analytics startups that are trying to build a cockpit view, not just for the HR team, but for the CEO of what the state of the talent is, 
the morale, the engagement, and all into a common dashboard. So I think analytics continues to be super important, just like all other functions, advanced software development that leads to AI applications that allows you to screen resumes, analyze compensation, or anything that is AI-related, I think we'll see heavily in the HR function. And then I still do think there's room for platform plays that become more of an underpinning system to the whole company that's more outward facing even to the employees and to the executives than just an HR system that's a database of information. So those are areas I think that will continue to be hot and I think we'll keep seeing innovation. Great. Well, Jared, thank you so much for your time today. Your insights were extremely helpful and we really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Arun. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Enterprise Leaders Podcast with Storm Ventures. If you like our content, make sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Till next time.